0: Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 14, Lesson 2. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Alhamdulillah, Rahim, Salatu wassalamu ala ilaha, wa ala alihi, wa ashabihi, woman wa wala ala, As-salamu alaikum, wa rahmatullahi, wa barakatuh. Jazakumullahu Khera, good to <coughs> see you all inshaAllah. What day is it today? Is it 22nd? 28th. 28th, very well done. 23rd, okay. So that means, uh, right, okay, 23rd. So, who actually remembers where we got to? I just have this kind of vague recollection of last week's lesson, which was a bit here, a bit there, talking about this and um, God knows what. So, is that basically where we, we, we got to? We stopped in the text, yeah? Right, okay. Well, I think what I'll do, I'll do two things today. There's two things I want to do today. Number 1, I want to actually read out the entire chapter as we should. Like a, a chapter of fiqh should be. I just I hadn't I wasn't happy with the translation last week, and so I never released the entire English translation, and because I didn't do that, then I didn't want to read out the entire Arabic, which is what you should do before you start explaining a chapter of fiqh is you read it all out so everyone sees it, hears it, gets their tongue used to it, looks at the words and recognizes it and then you hear the entire English translation as well. So now that I've checked that, I'm happy with my translation now. We're going to do that first. That will take up a few minutes. And then we'll carry on, uh, do some book work, because we didn't do much book work last week. All right? So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that um, there is a section which we might come to today. If we come to it, fine. If we don't come to it, then it's irrelevant. If we do come to it, and it's the issue of taking payment for the mu'addin, okay, and uh, the, the section on that, then I want to defer that until next week. And the reason for that is because I want to turn it into a research. Not to, I don't, I, I mean, what I mean is I want to make it relevant. That's what I mean. Because, to be honest, um, what the ilama said back then, all right, and what's in this text, is a certain thing. And I, I believe that it's a very, very relevant subject um, that we should take now from, from a much wider angle. I want to discuss a lot about this issue. I want to talk about our approach to our institutions and our Islamic workers, uh, the dawah courses, charging the entertainment industry, concerts, seminars—you know, the whole thing. I think it's a very opportune time to talk about it. Just from, Just from paying them, what yes? Because I think it's a very. I, it's a, I don't know when we'll get another opportunity to teach to talk about it from a fiqh point of view. This is the, entra- the entrance point into this. The ne- actually, the next one there is, but it will be months away. Maybe even a year away. And that's to do with the conditions of the imam and whether he can be paid. So, we might as well do it now. Or we can delay until then. I said just we do it now, that's all, no? Whatever. I mean, I just think that it's nice the fiqh, fiqh should be something which is relevant. Not just, the. Yani, you know, read it into what the books say, the books of fiqh say that the mu'adhin is not to be paid. All right, that, that's it. Oh, what's the difference between Yani being paid and receiving a, a, a sum from the treasury? This is the difference, and I can explain to you in one minute what the uh, has said is difference. It's not going to satisfy. It doesn't satisfy me. So why should it satisfy you? D- today we don't have baytul mal. Today we don't live in an Islamic state. Today we don't etc. 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 And so. I think that if we really want to understand the issue and take the benefit for today's world, about how we should look at whether it's permissible to pay than to pay an imam, how much we should pay an imam, etc. Because I have many things I want to say on that anyway. And I think that it would be good to discuss that. If we come to it today, we'll start talking about it. And if not, then next week, inshallah, we will look at that. Um, and I believe it would be something very beneficial, because it needs to be done. There's a lot of doubts and we need to make a differentiation between what's halal, haram, what is nice, what isn't, what's emotional responses from Muslims and what's the correct one, etc. Anyway, so let's look at this chapter then, Babul al-Adhani wal-Iqama. Okay, in the Arabic, so if we can have the Arabic text available to everyone and everyone looking at it, insha'Allah. فَهُمَا أجرتهما لا رزق من بيت من بيت المال لعدم لعدم متطوع ويكون المعذن صيّتا أمينا عالما بالوقت فإن تشاح فيه اثنان قدم أفضلهما فيه ثم أفضلهما في دينه وأقله ثم من يختاره الجيران ثم قرعة وهو خمسة عشرة جملة يرتنها على علو مطاطهيراً مستقبلاً للقبلة جاعلاً أسمعه في أذنيه غير مستذير ملتافة في الحي على يمين وشمالاً قائلاً بأدهما في أذان الصبح الصلاة خير من النوم مرتين وهي إحدى عشرة يحضرها ويقيم من أذن في مكانه إن سهل ولا يصح إلا مرتباً ولا يصح الا مرتبا متواليا من عدل ولو ملحنا او ملحونا ويجزئ من مميز ويبطلهما فصل كثير ويسير محرم ولا يجزئ قبل الوقت الا الفجر بعد نصف الليل ويسن جلوسه بعد اذان المغرب يسيرا ومن جمع او قضى فوائد أذن للأولى ثم أقام لكلّ فريضة ويُسن لسامئه متابعته سرا وحوقنته في الحي على وقوله بعد فراغه اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامه والصنّة القائمة آت محمدا الوسيلة والفضيلة وبعث مقام محمود الذي وعدت so the translation of this entire chapter, and that is the entire chapter, is as follows. The chapter of the call to prayer, that's the translation I've given to the Adhan, and the establishment of the prayer, which is a translation I've given for iqama. But from now on, we're not going to use those words again. Whenever I say Adhan, I mean the call to prayer. Whenever I say the word iqama I mean the the statement which is said, which establishes the actual prayer itself. They, the Adhan and iqama are both communal obligations for males who are classed as residents for the obligatory prayers. The people of a land who abandon the two are to be fought. It is not permissible to take a wage for either, but it is allowed to receive a sum from the treasury if no volunteers can be found. The Mu'adzim should be of good voice, trustworthy and knowledgeable about the time. If there are contenders for it, then the one who is best in these characteristics is chosen or then the one who is best in religion and intellect or then whoever the locals choose or then finally lots are drawn the adhan is 15 sentences one recites it from a high position whilst in a state of purity and facing the qibla placing his finger in each ear not swiveling around turning only to his right and left during the Hay alatayn. And also adding after it, meaning the Hay Alatayn, the prayer is better than sleep. As-salatu khayru min al Twice during the morning adhan only. The iqamah is 11 sentences to be recited quickly. The one who gave the adhan from the same place if convenient should give it. It will not be valid unless given in order and without any long pauses. It can only be given by a righteous male, even if sung or with grammatical mistakes. It is also acceptable from a child of discerning age. They are both invalidated by a long delay in between or a short interval where something impermissible occurs. It is not acceptable to be given before the time enters except for the Fajr prayer where it can be given after midnight. After the Adhan for the Maghrib prayer, it is Sunnah to sit for a little while. Whoever is combining prayers or making up missed prayers gives the adhan for the first prayer only and then the iqama for every subsequent obligatory prayer. It is a sunnah for the one listening to the adhan to silently, and I have to say, and I want to stop here for a second, that the word silently, um, the ulama have not, have not the Hambalis have not made it clear whether silently applies to all three or silently only, of applies to the first IEA. I want to make that clear. I have taken the liberty of applying it to all three. I would guess that it's possible from the humbly position because as I said, the commentators do not you know, make it clear from the humbly position. And I remember, remember, I translate not from my own opinion, I translate as the Humbleys want to say what they want to say. And they themselves have not made it clear whether silently should apply to all three scenarios. But I have gone and done that. You know, it might be a uh, addition from me. It is sunnah for the one listening to the adhan to silently, A, repeat what the mu'addin says, B, say the hawqala every time they, they hear the hay'ala, hawqala here means la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah the hay'ala is when you say hayya alas salah, hayya alal falah and C, to say after the Mu'addin finishes the translation of the dua that I mentioned, which is taqriban, and it's very, very difficult dua to translate, by the way, both in Arabic and in English. I want to say that, and you'll you see that when we do the lesson, that in Arabic many of the scholars differed about what it even means. So, then what do you imagine then in the English, then trying to translate it? Okay? So, the dua translated is, O oh Allah, Lord of this perfect call and this present prayer, give Muhammad وسلم, the highest level in paradise and a unique status with you. And allow him throughout to take his praised position that you have promised him. Okay, so that is a very interesting uh, text. I think it's and faithful to the humbly position, other than that that point about silently. And I would accept anyone proving me otherwise. And people will need to do research in that. As of now, I've not seen any of my teachers or anyone mention that this is uh, not. To be applied to all three. However, the text itself kinda of possibly suggests, okay, that and in fact that's a good exercise. Why don't we do it in the class? If you just look at it, okay, in the Arabic, okay, it's good that we do this actually. Shaz bring up that last paragraph in the Arabic. Okay. And if you can just highlight the word sirran. Yeah? So if you look at it, it says, okay? Right, can you see that? It's on board, yeah? So if you look at that, So number f- the first point you need to know the ulema, when they write the text, they do not put in commas. Okay? They do not put in commas. That's what we do. Okay? And a comma changes everything. So, for example, if I was to leave that comma there, which I have, using two of the manuscripts, okay? Because I don't just I don't I just don't translate. By the way, I have to go through the various manuscripts, and I have maybe three or four, to try and get the accurate uh, uh, Arabic, because there's a difference over the Arabic text as well. Little words, yani, that have been added, and so on and so forth. And there are mistakes by the printers. For example, the the best version I told you before about Sharḥ Muntah is this uh, this Dar ibn jawzi one, okay? And it has mistakes in it as well, okay? And I will I will bring your attention to it. I don't mean uh, mistakes in the commentary. I mean mistakes in the text, the metan at the top. And so there are some grammatical mistakes which we need to be This Mistakes happen from everyone, everywhere. So you know. And so, not only do you have the problem of mistakes, not only do you have the problem of what does the author actually mean, but then you also have the problem of where are you going to add your punctuation, because where you add it will change the meaning. For example, if you see that, that's, that first statement, وَيُسَنُّ لِسَامِئِهِ مُتَابَعَتَهُ سِرًّا And then I put a comma, then that is to be translated that, it is sunnah to repeat after the mu'adzin silently. Comma. And then to say the Hawqala after the Hay'ala. And then to say after the Mu'azzin finishes. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that comma makes the silently only applicable to the first. However, if I to take out the, the comma, I could then say it is Sunnah for the one who is listening to repeat after the Mu'azzin, uh, repeat what the mu'addin says, and to say the Hawqala after the Hay'ala, and to say after the firaghi all silently. Sirran would be al hal hal meaning the state of the, the, the in Arabic language. The sentence here is all in a hal state sirran so it has been brought forward. it would make sense for it to be right at the end to say sirran but it 's permissible in Arabic language to have that yani you know, state it 's like if i say um, uh, he went outside um, and freezing cold, he picked up the ball. Uh, 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 dropped it on the floor and kicked it in the goal I could also say he went outside picked up the ball dropped it on the floor kicked it on in, in the goal freezing cold yeah it is possible for me to take freezing cold which is the I don't know what you call it in English what's freezing cold the adjective is it man is freezing cold is there is there is there not a, a, an English grammatical term which describes the state of play I guess maybe adjective. That might be the word. Complement something. Huh? Complement something. Yeah. Anyway, let's just go with the adjective. I I don't know. English grammar is not my forte at all. But um, let's just say that it is, as you said, okay, uh, the adjective. I'm showing in English it's possible to put the adjective at the front and at the end, and it still means the same thing. Likewise here, silently has been brought forward. And it's not a push to say that it applies to the entire state, even though it's not come at the end where you'd expect it to be. But I brought it forward. So I just want to let you know that this is possible. Whenever you're reading ca- classical Arabic texts, you're having this problem. By the way, that's without... I've just mentioned like human errors, like mistakes and type typography errors and whatever. What about the actual Arabic word itself? You know that this tashkil that you see, okay, this tashkil, you know... Fatha, you know, this, that, whatever. I'm the one who puts that on. So I make a decision of how much to put on for you. Okay? So, you know, for example, like, uh, uh, you know, for example, Allah or Fi. I'm like, you guys are having a laugh. I'm not putting on, yani, a Kasra on the Fa and then a Sukun on the Ya. You've got to start learning sometime less Fi. But, yani, so for example, Hauqala, okay? Now, this is the, this is a good example. Hawqala, when I see the word Hawqala, Hawqala cannot be anything else in the world because I do not know of anything. In fact, as a non-Arab, non-Arabic language specialist, whatever, blah 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 blah, Hawqala has one meaning and one meaning alone. I don't think, and that's very unique, by the way, in Arabic language. Most words have multiple meanings. But the word hawqala as far as I know, I know someone's going to do my best thing now online, but it's okay, right? If you can't do my best thing, just post yani, a second or a third meaning. But I'm pretty positive that hawqala has no other meaning. But let me ask you, uh, uh, if there was no فتح, uh, uh you know, zabar uh, above the Ha, yes, and there was no fatha on the Qaf, give me the various possibilities this word could be. Huqila, hu- Huqala, hu- Tu, exactly, hu- qilatu, whatever, etc., etc., etc. Okay? Possible, yes or no? When I read that, or when, when students of knowledge read that, okay, in an Arabic text, it is impossible for this word to say and mean anything other than the word Huqala. But if you guys are seeing this word for the first time, there's absolutely all possibilities this word could be. Just because I've studied it, that I know that I'm not 99. I'm 100% sure that this word is hawqala and it's referring to the statement la hawla wa illa billah. Now you guys don't know that, and so I put on the fatha and so on and so forth. Now, in Arabic text, when you're writing, it's a piece of cake, isn't it? When you write it, most people there's two styles of Arabic language. Okay, you either um, when you're writing the word, you put the fatha and the kasra on whilst you're writing it, which is a disaster. Or do you do it, where you write the Arabic word, and then afterwards, you, then you just put on the, the different, you know, the, the Dhamma, the this, that, whatever. Now that's a laborious process. There are some people, scholars for example, or people who are good at the Arabic language, that they know, it's like when you're writing a document, and you need to write something about the Prophet ﷺ, Yes? So when you're writing about the Prophet ﷺ, in English word okay what do you do do you every single time after the Prophet do you stop and then put bracket and then put s and then sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then italicize it and then you know put the transliteration uh, in etc 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 you'd be nuts to do that that's the experience of the writer what the writer should do is when he writes the Prophet he says sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he leaves it blank or he just puts you know, a uh, actually he should put something there and he should put something unique there and that unique should be that he puts a bracket and an S okay, or he puts down an S and a W a word which is completely unique and then he just moves on, moves on and every time he just puts S-W, S-W, S-W and then in the end when he's done the whole document he goes to replace and then he puts in bracket S-W and then he writes sallam, exactly how he wants it if he's very clever, he italicizes it and, and whatever, and he says, match the formatting. And then he presses replace, and he replaces every single one for him automatically. Saves maybe half an hour if it's a long document. So likewise, a, a, a person who is doing a job, and remember these are p- commercial products, aren't they? These are books which are sold. They have to be done in a very similar way. So after a person has written... A scholar does not want to be wasting time. He knows what he's writing, so he writes everything. Da, 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 da. He's not going to go back now and do it. Someone else normally does that. So when a classic text comes out, there isn't that. Maybe a scholar will only put these punctuation marks on one word on a page. Because it's a very important one. Okay? Okay? But because there's a lot of confusion around it. Otherwise, the rest is not going to bother. In actual fact, some of the scholars are so, I don't want to say lazy, it's definitely not lazy. Some scholars are so particular about the way that you do this, is that they will actually say to you that this word, wal and like this, they will actually explain to you that you put a dhamma on the first one and whatever. They'd rather write that out than to actually go and then do it physically afterwards. And if you're doing it by computer, it's even more a pain. Because by computer, when you're putting this tashkil on, you have to use the cursor key for each one. And go in, back on the cursor, and insert it, and then come in and you're not sure, oh, it's a mission. It's an absolute mission. So therefore, a lot of mistakes happen by, by, the, by the professional people who are paid just to put on their tashkil. And if someone's not very, very good at Arabic as well, he's like, you know, Arab... but doesn't really know fusha, then he's making natural mistakes. That's minus the actual physical pressing the wrong button as well. So I just want to give you an idea, and I think it's valuable that you know, that the sources for potential misunderstanding in classical text are many, especially today. And one of the benefits of knowing what I've just told you is that controversy today is not free from one of the reasons going back to some of these issues mistaken words, misspelt statements, misunderstood concepts, etc, etc. And at the, you know what? And that's when you then you know who the real scholars are. Okay, because then you have to and you're forced to go to those old men that people don't want to listen to because they don't find them you know, entertaining and whatever. The masters who are 90 years old and you realize that they've memorized the text. And so it doesn't matter what all the mistakes other people have made, you go to them and they say to you that this is what the text means because that is exactly how we memorized it. And you realize, all right, we're in a whole next level, yani in a game here, okay? So I want you to just understand that point. Yeah. So on a scholarly level, this fatham, kasra, that's understandable. Yeah. Then you mentioned the comma. Yes. So that could potentially change the meaning of the way that you interpret it. It language. it could, it could. Should that not be in there? Should that not be made clear? The comma? it should it should at in this in this in this text in this at this text level it should be made more clearer okay and some will argue no it is clear some will argue it is clear that sirran has uh, arrived only at the end of the first yani uh, uh, request and so therefore it, re- it refers only to the to the the, three, the to the first one and i would agree with that that I, from an Arabic language point of view, the way that Sirran is, 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 is mentioned, it would suggest that it's only really the first one that you re- re- recite quietly. However, the reverse argument could be made that from the Sunnah, when we use other ahadith and so on, we know that it was not the practice of the companions to say La hawla wa la quwata illa billah loud that everyone hears. Or for example, the du'a of Allahumma Rabbahadhi al-Da'wat al-Tama was not a public du'a. So the supporting evidence also suggests that these are personal statements. And in principle, personal statements, which are not communal, are said quietly. They're not said loudly. And that's a very important point. And so from a usul principle, the translation that silently applies to all three is making more sense as well. However, it's a point of controversy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, right. So... That being said, where are we now in text? We are. um, Where are we in text now? Uh, What did we say? We said they're both for a You finish by when it's time for prayer, let one of you do the other. That's what you finished by. Can I talk about men then, yeah? You talk about obligation. Right, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm I'm just yeah. Okay. So it's upon So this obligation now, right? We've we've established it's a communal obligation. We explain the difference between what is farda'ain and fard kifaya. Meaning it's not upon every single person to do, but it's upon at least one person in one area to do it so that the obligation is lifted from the rest of the community so they're not, they're not held in sin. That's what fard kifaya means. Okay? And once it's done, then the obligation has been, been achieved. But who is the one that needs to actually do it and who is it actually an obligation upon? These are the two things we need to uh, clarify. So the first is that it is an obligation upon the men. What's the actual uh, uh, text? It is that they are both communal obligations for males who are classed as residents for the obligatory prayers. What that basically means is that if there is a group of males who are living in a certain area and um, are are, are resident, then for their obligatory prayers, they must make sure that one of them does the uh, adhan. does that does that make sense? Because it's possible that the the uh, text is not very clear about what that means, yeah. So, for example, for example, if there was a town where the residents were only women, it would not be obligatory upon them to have the adhan made, okay. Other than the fact that there's no one to give it, and the 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 one who gives it has to be a man anyway. But just imagine, okay. I don't know what kind of scenario that could be, but just if the women were there, the easier the the one that, the example which is given from the hanbali side we will see if that's authentic or not though from the hanbali side is if there was a town where there was no one living there but just a couple of um, a group of uh, trabe- travelers who basically came there and they stayed for 2 days for example It's like a holiday camp okay they stayed for 2 days and then they set off then for the 2 days that they were there then, no they wouldn't have to make the adhan that's, the, 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 that's that that would make it make more sense does that make sense To explain, yani, what the text says, yeah? We'll now check this to see whether this is correct or not. But that's for you to understand. So, uh, upon men, okay, it says, for those, for males, rather, for males. So, by this statement, males the author has basically said it means post-pubescent males. So children, if there's an area of children only, not required for them or from them. Likewise, any other categories, so obviously women, but also the hermaphrodites as well. Hermaphrodites, which we talked about uncovered, it would not be obligatory upon them as well. Amman Nisa, <laughs> Sheikh says, sheik al he goes, according to the Hanbali madhab, it is not obligatory upon them to make their adhan. It doesn't matter whether they are It doesn't matter whether they are by themselves or whether they are amongst men. So there's a group of mixed people. So if it is not obligatory for women then to make the Adhan amongst themselves, then what is the uh, correct position then? What's the ruling of the Adhan for women then? Um, There are various narrations from Imam Ahmed. The first opinion is that it is disliked for them to make the Adhan. And the second opinion, this is, these are narrations from Imam Ahmed. You know that by now, that Imam Ahmed himself has many narrations when it comes to an opinion. Sometimes the exact opposite ones. But that's just the way that the, the scholars have taken from him. So he has four okay, positions, four narrations from him. The first one is that it is makruh, okay, something which is disliked. The second is that it is permissible for them to make their adhan. The third is that it is... Uh, both of them are recommended, so the adhan and the iqama are recommended. And wa al al And the fourth one is that only the iqama is recommended, nothing else. So four positions according to the according to the founder of the Hanbali madhab. The first one is that both of them are disliked for the woman to make. So if they make it, they will not be sinful, but it is disliked. The second is that they are. Mubah meaning it is permissible for the woman if she wants to to make the adhan and make the iqama. It is not something of reward. There will be no reward in it per se. The third is that both of them are recommended. If she she should do it, and she'll get rewarded for it, and there'll be no sin if it's not done either the adhan or the iqama. And the fourth position, the narration that comes from him is that uh, the adhan is not recommended at all, and the iqama though is. So when the women are praying amongst themselves in that area, whether a town or a masjid or a community center or wherever they are as a group, then it is recommended for them to make the iqamah. وَقُلُ حَذَا مَشْرُوتُ مِمَا إِذَا لَمْ يَرْفَعْنَا صَوْتُ عَلَىٰ وَجْهٍ And Sheikh makes a very important point. That even according to the Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, all of these four narrations from him are based on a single premise, a condition. And that is that the women do not raise their voices so that others can hear them. So all of these four positions are based upon a premise and understanding that if it's allowed or if it's recommended or whatever, then that is based upon the condition that no other people can hear them. And then if they do that, then the humbly position will be um, that it is either haram, what they did, or something which is disliked. That is according to the, to the uh, madhab. As for, these are the four positions from Imam Ahmad himself. Remember now, we're now into our fourth year now. We know that there's always a difference between what the founder and the imam might say and what the madhab then, then agrees upon later. After further discussion with their own scholars and so on and so forth, they take the position of the imam as a founding, starting position and then after discussion they settle down. What do we call the position of the madhab when it becomes like that? It becomes al mutamad Okay, the mu'atmad position. Okay, the mu'atmad means it becomes the base position, the the the, 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 the 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 kind of official position, the formal position of the madhab. It's actually called al mu'atmad. When we have a single opinion in the madhab from one of its founders or one of its key players, we say wa There's a in the madhab. There's a position in the madhab. Okay, that it is allowed. And there's a position in the madh'ab that is haram. And it, you, so that's also important to understand. In this matter, the position of the hanbali madh'ab, formal and official, is that it is absolutely disliked for both adhan and the iqama. That is the official position of the madh'ab. Okay, it is, dis, it is disliked. لأنهن من أهل الإعلان فلا ذلك. Because women are not from the people of announcement. From the people of announcement. By that, what Sheikh Uthaymeen is trying to say is that when it comes to announcements being made, it is not women who should be making these kind of announcements. It should be. It's not their. It's not their position. It's not, yani, their responsibility. And again, that goes back down. And, and it's not their kind of role. However, Sheikh Uthaymeen kind of strikes a conciliatory note at the end. Okay. And um, he basically says, however, if women are together in a prayer area, then it is something which I think has a has a good argument that they should be allowed to give the ikama. That Sheikh means position, okay, that they should give the ikama. The class position, okay, and this is my position as well for a long time is that it is mustahab, it is something which is, so a little bit further than Sheikh Uthameen, I want to say that it is something which is rewarded for a woman to be able to give the iqamah amongst themselves. I do not believe that it is conditioned, there's no evidence that it is restricted only to males, and it's something which is not a public announcement. I agree with all of the fuqaha. In fact, all of the classical scholars are in absolute agreement that women are not... that one of their roles is not public announcements and the public yani, carrying of their voice. Okay? And so, if that is the case, if that is an asal, if that's like a, a state... A, what the asal, asal, asal? If that's a base kind of principle that we understand, then of course it makes sense that the they would not come in there in their category. However, I mean, uh, interestingly, of course, if, if it comes to... The muazzin being someone who can, you know, shout loud, whatever. And women be perfect at that, frankly. Okay, so I don't know. Yani, from an akal point of view, I think they do a great job. Okay, screaming for a loud time, maintaining a high pitch. Yani, you know, what's we'll the The characteristics of the muazzin: tone of voice, high notes, able to turn it on at any moment, even if you just woke up. Yani, right in the morning. Because man yani, wakes up in the morning, he's half dead. But subhanAllah, you give woman an excuse, yani, she'll be mashaAllah, top of the game, right first thing. I think it could make sense. In a parallel world, because yani. we don't go against fuqaha, isn't it? Yeah? Okay. Don't say that, yani, I had to resist that. I couldn't resist something like that. Okay. So, um, is that clear, everybody? Yes? So that's referring. Yes? Um, what in this position? the should be done? No. He, he doesn't want to recommend it. You can see from his position that he is not going to say, go and do it. But he goes, wajh. I will translate exactly what he said. He said, If a person was to say to me, okay, I will translate exactly so you understand how a scholar is responsible and doesn't want to commit himself. He goes, I'll say in Arabic, Arabic and then I will translate it. He goes, if a person was to say um, that I follow the fourth position, which is that it is recommended to make the, uh, the iqama and not the adhan, okay, uh, 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 um, because they have all come together themselves for the prayer already, so they're amongst themselves in a closed-off area, I think they might have a point. لهم <laughs> وَجْحٍ They'd have a point. So is he saying Mubah? I, he doesn't, he, he will never say haram. He doesn't even say, even the madhab doesn't say haram. So absolutely I'm Mubah from Sheikh Uthameen. The real question is, is that do, uh, do we consider that it would be an act of reward for them to do it? And I believe so. I believe that there's no evidence to deny women from taking the reward of, the, of giving the iqamah which is a great thing which is a great act of ibadah and there is a even in the saying of these words there's a declaration of tawheed and there's it's dhikr as well and it gets people ready so the people who are there for example you know how everyone is everyone can stand for prayer but once they hear the iqamah people take it a bit more seriously and they start to kind of you know get tied up and everything whatever and that's a an ajr in that that you're getting people ready for salah so I don't see why they should be prohibited from that. And there's no evidence to prohibit it. As for the Adhan, there's plenty of evidences that yani, it is clear that the woman is not one who makes announcement. We never saw that at all. We never saw that in many, many different yani, possibilities, etc., etc., etc. Okay, the next point is they have to be Muqeem. Yes, the Hanbali say that it's only obligatory for people who are resident. Muqeem, okay? Muqeem comes from the Arabic word of Aqama, those who have established themselves, okay? Muqeemeen. ضَدُّ الْمُسَافِرِينَ That's opposite, therefore, to travellers. Okay? So therefore, according to the Hanbali Madhab, the Musafireen, people who are travelling, they do not have to, uh, uh, they're not obligated to make their Adhan or iqama It's only Sunnah for them. That's the position of the Hanbali Madhab. Therefore, a Musafir, it is not obligatory to make the Adhan or the Iqamah. It's only Sunnah. However, Sheikh Uthameen says, they have absolutely no evidence for this position. They have no evidence for this position. And in actual fact, the evidence is, is exactly the opposite to this. The evidence is that, and in fact the correct position is, it is obligatory upon those who are residents and those who are traveling. It's obligatory on both. Okay, and The evidence is that the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Malik ibn al-Huwayrith, he said to Malik ibn al-Huwayrith, radiyallahu anhu, and to the rest of his traveling companions, you know, um, Malik Ibn this hadith which is narrated by uh, this hadith which is narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, okay, in the book of the Adhan, okay, all right, this hadith. Uh, uh, hadith, uh, sorry, the number. Hadith from uh, Ibn Bukhari, uh, number 631, uh, in the book of the Azan, and it's also narrated by Imam Muslim as well. So it's a very authentic hadith. In this hadith, Malik ibn Muawiyah an, and his companions, they were leaving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa They were actually going back to their families. It was a long suffer. Okay. So actually, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said to them that when the prayer enters. Either hadarat salah, yani, when the salah becomes حاضر, yani, it's time now, is here, okay? Then one or let one of you make the adhan. Faliu which is in the Arabic is indicating obligation, number one. And we already established that last week, we used this hadith last week. falu and we also said the fact that he said one of you means that therefore it is not an obligation upon every single person because he only said, let one of you. So we used this hadith last week, but the context of the hadith now we use in a different way. By him saying, let one of you make the adhan when the prayer enters, and he's saying that to a group of travelers, it's clear, he's referring then to all people. If the travelers have to do it, then of course the muqeemeen have to do it as well. And that's why Sheikh Al-Amin said the evidence is actually exactly opposite to the Hambalis. Okay? Um... And we also know And if you remember we covered a couple of weeks ago the hadith of the Prophet missing the Fajr prayer, right? What did I tell you about where they were? They were traveling, yes? What did he tell Bilal to do? He told him to make the Adhan. He told him to make the Adhan. And Sheikh Uthameen makes a statement, the Prophet ﷺ has never been reported to have ever left giving out the adhan or the iqamah in either of his travels or times at home. Hadaran wala safara. Whether he is at home or whether he is on a journey, never have we had narrated that he told someone or let someone not give the adhan and the iqamah. In fact, the exact opposite. When we see any hadith that talks about the prayer in that state, we see the Prophet ﷺ said, Make the adhan and make the iqama." So, therefore, as Sheikh Uthameen said, the conclusion is, the class position is, that it is obligatory for people who are resident and travelers. One, two, and then three. Yeah. And the joint press. That's coming later. Yeah. Is the lack of evidence an evidence? Is the lack of evidence an evidence? I, I so, you know, this is a very good question. Yeah. Is the lack of evidence of something an evidence for the actual action? The answer is that it depends entirely upon the actual thing. Whether it's a statement we're trying to make, whether it's an action we're trying to allow, whether it's something we're trying to prohibit. So this is, a, this is way beyond the end of this class at the moment. Okay? We did cover some of this before, Okay, because um, it would entirely depend, This the lack of evidence is an evidence. Um, sometimes it is. Sometimes it can't be. And that depends upon, for example, are we talking about mu'amalat? Are we talking about ibadat? Are we talking about something which has no other statements said? Are we talking about action where it was not known to have been possible at that time? That's another very interesting one. If there was an action we're talking about, so for example, let's say that someone said, for example, uh, cloning. Yes, cloning is allowed. And they'll say, why is cloning allowed? They said, because the Prophet ﷺ didn't prohibit cloning. So, you see what I'm trying to say? Is the lack of evidence and evidence that it's allowed to do cloning? So, here we say, well, cloning was not something which was yeah, possible at that time, never, not in the thought process, etc., etc. And that's one argument. And, and so, what I want to say is that sometimes it is an evidence, and other times it's not, depending entirely upon the area that we're trying to get the fatwa, or what we're trying to deal with today, and yeah, the, the context, and so many different things. So it's a massive question. What you're asking? Yep. Yeah. Uh, is there any precedence given to the resident or the travellers? Is there any, precedence, like, any uh, precedent or preference? Sorry, preference. Right. So, is there any preference given to the the one who should give the adhan? You mean? Yeah. Whether a person is a musafir or not, yes. that's the question. No. Okay. There is no preference that a person should give. And on the issue of the prayer, we'll come to that in the prayer section. But when it comes to the adhan, if there was, uh, if there was two equal people, okay, then no, one does not get the preference because they are uh, a traveller or not. The preference is given to our lists of preferences, which we'll come to inshallah. Okay, right, all right. So list salawats al-khams al maktuba Okay, al-lama ta'ailil? So this is something, and this is a very interesting point as well. The adhan is to be given, okay, for what? For the five written prayers, okay, for the five written prayers. While the difference between the obligatory thing and the obligatory thing is that the obligatory thing is from its reality and nature. We saw the first one, for example, and as for the obligatory thing, it is There's an interesting thing that the author says in the Arabic language. He says that it is obligatory for the prayers and not in the prayer. Okay, For the prayer and in the prayer. Now, that's an obvious point because you might think it's an obvious point. Because if it was obligatory in the prayer, then it would mean that it's possible to actually give it within the actual prayer itself, within the actual structure of the prayer. But when you say that it is for the prayer then we now are able to categorize the Adhan very clearly as a precondition to the prayer. Now, why that is important is because there are certain things that must happen before one prays that have to be complete before one 's allowed to start the prayer, and there are certain things which, if they are obligatory in the prayer, if they are not met then if then the prayer itself will be invalid so even though it sounds completely irrelevant to know whether whether the adhan is obligated for the prayer, or actually uh, uh, in the prayer, is important. And what the, what the author makes it very clear, is that it is something which has to be done beforehand. The next point is, is that it's obligatory for the, it is obligatory for the five written prayers. Does that mean Jum'a as well or not? So, Bob's is saying that Jum'ah is a replacement for Dhuhr. Is Jumu'ah a replacement for Dhuhr? Is Jumu'ah a replacement for Dhuhr? We haven't covered this in this class, and it's a big issue, okay? And we will cover it. Um, if you're thinking, you know, what's the point of knowing that, يعne, okay? So what if it's not, or, or is, or not? Um, a person might say, of course it's a replacement, because you, if you pray Jumu'ah, you don't need to pray Dhuhr, Okay? There's a difference that it takes its place and it being a replacement. Okay? Even though in English that means the same thing, right? Something taking something's place and it being an official replacement are actually in Sharia two different things. Even though in English language a replacement is exactly something which takes the place of something, right? So if I say it takes the place of that and it's a replacement, I know in English that sounds ridiculous but in Arabic, in Sharia, it's two different things. For example... We all agree that it takes the place of dhuhr, because we know that, okay? And when you study this issue more, you realize that there are some interesting things. For example, the fact that it's two raka'ah shouldn't scare you off, that it's like a weird replacement. Actually, some scholars said that the khutbah is like two raka'ah, and the prayer is like two raka'ah. Even though, by the way, that's incorrect, okay? But I will just say that, just, you know, as a point. Also, what's interesting is that we know that if you are late in praying the Jum'ah prayer, and you come to the Jum'ah prayer, for example, um, in the second Raka'ah in Sejda. okay, so you missed the second Ruku'ah, and so there's only now Tashahud left now, you have to stand up and you have to pray Dhuhr. You've missed Jum'ah, okay? So the relationship between Jum'ah and Dhuhr is a lot more complex than you actually think. For example, if the Jum'ah prayer is a replacement for the Dhuhr prayer, what would in what would not be permissible to do recite loudly. that's a good point recite loudly okay because yani that's that, that, you know that's different although in fairness we have hadith to show the prophet did recite so we wouldn't have a problem with that we know that al he didn't recite in in uh, uh, Jum'a, he did so it's not a major issue something a bit more yani yeah okay you're mentioning things which are very obvious because we have hadith for it. We know the Prophet ﷺ you've got to pray Jum'ah at the masjid because that's what Jum'ah means, to come together. What about something which is not narrated but would be a consequence? If Jum'ah is a replacement okay, for dhuhr is a replacement for dhuhr, then there are legal consequences. If it's not a replacement for dhuhr, there are legal consequences. M- mention. Something uh, uh, which would which is not obvious. So if you're a traveller, you are a traveler you You're not obligated to pray Jum'ah, okay. So if it was a replacement for Buhur, then you could potentially miss your Buhur and you would not be. That's theoretically possible, right? If you, therefore, uh, and Jum'ah is the complete and only replacement. I mean, it's not possible because if it's not obligatory upon you, then you wouldn't be considering a Jum'ah whether it was a replacement or not a replacement. Because for you it would only be dhuhr anyway, but I get your point. But carry on, there's another one which comes after this. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The answer is the answer is combining. Okay, let's say you're a traveler, right, and you're stopping by a masjid, right now normally what you want to do if you're on a road on a motorway and you stop off let's say you're driving from Manchester to to London yeah it's Friday you're driving from Manchester and you're driving in winter time and you know that you should really start off really early but you mess it up and you set off at 11 alright you set off at 11 o'clock around 12, 1 o'clock you only make it to Birmingham now you're in a mission here okay because you know now at the time that this is here that Either you've got to pray on the road or, or... You know, you've got so many different options now, okay? And the real thing that you know is that now the second leg from Birmingham to London is the longer leg and it's like a lot of traffic and you might, you're might you not going to be able to get somewhere before Maghrib so you've got to deal with the Dhuhr-Asr issue. So you know that on any other day, it's a result. Pull over anywhere, whether it's a masjid or a service station or on the road, pray you to Dhuhr, pray you to Asr, job done. But if the Jum'ah prayer is not a replacement for the Asr prayer, for the Dhuhr prayer, then it means what? You? Sorry, you know, I'm not making it very clear. Sorry, that's my fault, okay? Let's say you stop at a local masjid, and they're praying Jum'ah, okay? Right. So now, you pray Jum'ah with this local gang, okay? And you've realized that you follow the position that jumu'ah is not a replacement for zuhr so then you can't combine and then you really are stuck you've actually now come to a situation where you've stopped and you've you've wasted a lot of time now on your journey you've prayed your jumu'ah you can't pray your asr with it because the combination of prayers is strictly related to zuhr with asr only and Maghrib with Isha only doesn't say anywhere Jum'ah, okay? Because we said Jum'ah is not a replacement for the prayer. And so therefore, you can't combine. So you've actually made a mistake, right? By stopping from a journey point of view, you've made a mistake in stopping and you've now probably messed up this journey. However, on the other hand, if you believe that Jum'ah is an absolute legal replacement for Dhuhar, then it is permissible then to combine Dhuhar and Asr. And there's no there's no, there's no problem from any of the scholars or from a fiqh point of view, from a legal point of view. Do you see the point? Yeah? Did you say if you think it's a replacement? If it is a replacement, then it takes all the rulings that Dhuhr does. And if it takes all the rulings of what Dhuhr does, then you can combine. But if it's not a replacement for Dhuhr and it's a separate prayer which gets prayed at the time of Dhuhr for anyone who prays it, which is a strong position, by the way. And it's one which I personally hold, but let's not yeah, any confuse things, okay? And, and it's a special, unique prayer that if you get to pray at Dhuhr time, on a Friday, job done. But if you didn't get to pray, then you have to pray Dhuhr. So it's just an opportunistic prayer which takes the place of Dhuhr, as opposed to a legal replacement. So you put and then two, four, and then. Oh, how, how are you doing that? How, 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 on what basis would you do that? That's why I just understood from what you said. If it is a replacement, then yes. But if it's not a replacement, then it's a unique prayer. Then we want an evidence from the Prophet did he ever combine Jum'ah and Asr? And the problem is you're not going to find that evidence. You don't need to read Jum'ah if. Well, we haven't come to that yet. Yeah, but we will come to in the, in the right time when we come to the chapter of the Jummah prayer. You will learn that it is not obligatory upon a traveler. If you do, if you if you do read you it, it yep, yeah. and oh, no, of course not, not only have you not done something wrong, it's something great, but I'm talking purely from a distance and traveling point of view. I'm just talking about in the context of that journey to London. Ask Shazad, basically. There's always one person who calls <laughs> That's you need to know. Shazad, Yani, Shazad's very strict on this issue, so we have to. The we just and... <laughs> he always wants a fatwa for this, Yani, yeah, and combining and this and that. Because she up and down this motorway, always looking for a way out, Yani, yeah, of how I can do a sneaky like combining job on a Friday. I don't know why he's traveling on a Friday anyway. That's another question we need to ask ourselves again. Okay. Isn't it? Dentists need to explain why they're traveling on a Friday is for Yes. Yes. So last week you I went made to Glasgow, it I made it to Pollock Shields Mosque. you made it to Pollock Shields Mosque, may Allah protect Pollock Shields Mosque, <laughs> okay, and you made it there for traveller. on a Friday, and you were a traveller, and you said, you know what, I'm a traveller, but I'm still going to pray you Juma'a. and you felt great when you prayed Juma'ah, you did a good job. And then it? what happened next? Well, what time was it? <laughs> and what time was Juma'ah? Probably in the other time. <laughs> I don't hate, man. Why are you hating on Pollock Shields? Why are you hating? Why are you... Unbelievable hate. Unbelievable hate for Glasgow and Pollock Shields. Unacceptable. That was Dr. Shazad, who, by the way, was born in Glasgow, by the way. I just want to let you know that we let this guy into our country, okay? He was born in Scotland, and this is how he treats it. Subhanallah, such disrespect. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, sah? unbelievable so I can't believe you this Pollock Shield saying that they don't pray Jummah on time anyway so you prayed Jummah, okay this better be a good story by the way because we stopped the class for your Pollock Shield mosque, yeah, yeah, story Asar, the you prayed Asr normal time I went to your friend's bro You <laughs> <laughs> went to chill yeah, on a Friday on thingy okay. okay that's very different that's very different to a guy okay who has to get to London before Maghrib, traveling from Manchester, he's already been on the road for 5-6 hours, and he's trying to plan his journey, and he's messed it up, something chronic. Yeah? He's messed it up chronic, because he knows that he doesn't want to be on the road, on the M6 and M1, on the way to London, at two, three, four o'clock. That's murder. You see what I'm saying? And so what he does, what decision he takes, at 1 o'clock, will determine his life forever. <laughs> the real question is, what if you're... Leaving the place at Juma time. Leaving where? Hey. You see this guy? This is Fatan, This one, you see that? Okay. <laughs> this is the guy who just doesn't want us to focus on the class, no. and he wants to tell us all the kind of things that he's got fatwa for. He just said basically he's here now in Chedil. He's packed his little little bag in his car. You know, dentists they carry these kind of you know, mashallah bags yeah. and he's, he's he's put the bag in his car. He's left home, and now what he wants to do is to come to the Masjid, pray Juma. And he wants to pray asr, Yani as well. Why well, is he still at home? Jum- 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 this is round the corner from his house, uh? And he wants to pray. He he goes. Who said this condition that it's got to be outside? You see, who said this condition that Jum'ah prayer is a replacement or replacement? To get to London by seven o'clock. <laughs> I I'm got nothing to say. Got, this is Shazad, and Shazad, a man of many means. Anyway, okay. So anyway, the correct position is. After all that discussion about what Juma is or not, whatever, the, ir- the irony is, is that the legal discussion of whether Juma is a legal replacement for Dhuhr or not, doesn't apply here at all. Because the only thing that applies in terms of this question is what takes its place. And of course Juma takes the place of the Dhuhr, and so therefore it does apply to the uh, Jum'ah as well. It is obligatory to make the Adhan for Juma. It is obligatory to make the Adhan for Juma because it takes one of the five positions. And we said the five daily prayers and the absence of Dhuhr, that's what it is. Um, okay. And Sheikh Amin says that when the author says for the five prayers, then of course that means that everything other than that does not require an adhan. So the withar does not require adhan, and the sunnah does not require adhan. And also, therefore, Salatul Kusuf, which is the um, what is Kusuf? Solar what eclipse? Solar. Correct, it's a solar eclipse, okay? And Khusuf? Lunar eclipse, okay? So Salatul Kusuf is the solar eclipse. Salatul Khusuf is the lunar eclipse. They don't require an adhan. Salatul Eid doesn't require an adhan. It's in the morning time, isn't it? One of the five daily times, no? It's Doha time, yes? It's the yes? sixth prayer of the day, okay? For the people who pray that day, Mashallah. okay? So that's the sixth prayer, so correct. Yeah, that one does not, also not require and uh, uh, Is it obligatory? Hmm. So there is no adhan for the salat al-aid. And he also said for the other prayers that one needs to do, for example, those which person has vowed to do, such as some sunnah kind of, you know, I, oh Allah, if you, if I pass my exams, I will pray ten raka'ah, for example. This is what we call salat mandura, that which you have vowed to do. There is no adhan for that either. Uh, yes, Isa. Um, you said that. No, for neither, for either, for neither of them. For no eclipse prayer, okay? For no eclipse prayer. Now, in this text, but I don't think in yours, okay? Yeah. In the Arabic of your text, there's a word which is missing. It says, Huma كِفَايَةٍ الرِّجَالِ al لِلصَّلَوَاتِ أَلْمَكْتُوبَةِ and then in some copies of the manuscript it adds al muadda al okay? Al-Mu'adda. Now it's not so significant that it's missing Yani in the others and is here in the, the text. But let me explain to you what Al-Mu'adda means. al muadda comes from ada and what did we say that is? Opposite to qada, which means that it's the normal prayer in its normal time. So what is basically the author trying to say? What's the author trying to say? Say it again? No, no, that's not what he's trying to say here. No. What is the author trying to imply if Al-Mu'adda is used? Again, remind yourselves, what is a prayer which is from Al Muadda? What is it? Wait, Qadha prayers, they don't have it on. Correct. Simple as that. It just basically what the author is trying to say is that if you're making Qadha prayers, you're making prayers up, there's no other. Does that make sense? Okay. Only the prayers that you are praying on time. And actually, Sheikh Uthameen, he says, المؤدى حكذا في بعض رود المربع, one of the commentaries to this book okay one of the classical humbly commentaries not a al muqaran, not a comparative fiqh one which is what we're covering right um, if you look at a humbly commentary to this text then you will see that it actually states this this this, this actual uh, uh, wording okay وهي التي تصل بعد الوقت فلا يجب الإذان لها لكن يسن. However, the humbly position is that it is only sunnah, not obligatory. So they still consider that it is something which is done but sunnah only. Remember we're talking about obligations, okay? Obligations. However, Sheikh Uthaymeen, he said that the correct position, the correct position is that the adhan is obligatory for all prayers whether on time or qada whether before their time or on time sorry or post their time and the evidence for that the evidence for that what do you think he's going to quote <laughs> correct and nabi sallallahu alaihi sallam lama nama an salat fajr fi safarihi walam yastayqid illa ba'da tuluk al-shams amra bilala an yu'adzin wa an hadith which was narrated by bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ, when he overslept Salatul Fajr, and then he woke up during his journey, he woke up after the sun had set, he commanded Bilal to make the Adhan and give the Iqamah. He commanded. Amara Bilal. Okay? And so the idea here is, the evidence Shaykh Bithameen wants to make is that this is obviously a missed prayer, Qada prayer, and yet he was commanded to still make Adhan for it. That's the legal indication of the hadith. Um, according to who? The Hanbalis they say that the adhan for a missed prayer, qaza prayer, is sunnah only, not obligatory. Sheikh uthaymeen says that no, it is obligatory. It's obligatory to make it for normal prayers and for Qada prayers. Okay? What we say, what we call الصلوات المؤدية والمقدية. مقدية means those that are being made up قضاء، والمؤدية meaning those that are being prayed in the right time. ولكن إذا كان الإنسان في بلد قد أُذن فيه للصلاة، كما لو نام جماعة في غرفة في البلد ولم يستيقظوا إلا بعد تلقي الشمس فلا يجب عليهم الأذان اكتفاءً بأذان العام في البلد، لأن الأذان العام في البلد حصل بالكفاية. Sheikh gives an example. He goes, however, if someone's in a town or a city, doesn't need to be an Islamic one, but he knows that there are Muslims there, and in that town, city, community, area, there's no doubt that the adhan has been given because of the people who prayed on time. But there was a group of people, for example, say three or four mates or whatever they'd had you know, some travel and they'd, they'd arrived back home and they're in, the, they're in a room and they missed the, the alarm or whatever and they've woken up late. So now when they pray, the prayer is going to be past This time it's going to be qazaar prayer. They do not need to give the adhan. Why? Because the adhan is a communal obligation on an area and because someone in that area has already given the adhan, then they are not now obligated to do it. However, if they do do it, it's an act of sunnah. And that's what Shaykh Uthameen is saying. However, he's saying that they must give the Iqama. They must give the Iqamah, even though, uh, because the Iqama is not something which spreads for all people. It is linked. The, see, the Adhan is, is a entrance of time, whereas the Iqama is establishment of an individual prayer. Okay? So, this is also a good question, right? In actual fact... The Arabic that Sheikh uses is balad, and balad means country, and it can also be used for city. Okay, and the question is, is that, and and we don't have any evidence to make it any more specific or general than the word balad itself. So now we have to ask ourselves that um, can we use it in a small sense? Uh, 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 sorry. Uh, uh, do we, are we obligated to restrict it to a small area? Or can we say that as long as you're in a Muslim country, then the, area, the, 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 the situation is done? I'm conflicted on this issue. And the reason I'm conflicted is because next week, as we're going to cover a very famous hadith, a hadith where basically a people, uh, there was a military unit which attacked an area in, during war and they did not hear the adhan. And because they did not hear the other, then they assumed that the area is not a Muslim area. So therefore, it's now a green light to attack. And there's no fear of attacking outside, friendly fire. Yeah? Now, and we'll talk about what happens afterwards. But if you look at that, that's not a country being attacked, is it? It's an area. And I guess from a classical war position an area would not be also the area of today where satellite systems are covering large areas, but something which is visual. And we know that that would probably be between, you know, the area of an entire valley, or that which two mountains are covering. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, geographical eye kind of sight spreading, where you kind of see something. So, I believe there is indirect, and Allah knows best, evidence to show that the word balad has quite a small... Uh, geographical area. And if that's the case, then it wouldn't be sufficient, for example, to walk into, I don't know, the Vatican. Okay? The area of the Vatican. Is the area called the Vatican? What's the country called? Vatican. It is Vatican, yeah? I'm just giving that as an example because I'm trying to think of an area where there's very few Muslims. There's got to be a better one. Yeah, I mean, for example, you know, no one can just come into this country. I don't want people to come into this country and say, you know what, I'm sure that they gave the Adhan in Southampton. So, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead with the prayer without making the Adhan. Because that's what kind of laziness could, could, could come out of this. I think that it should be Manchester as a, 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 as a minimum. Problem is I don't have a direct evidence. I only have the word Balad. But these other hadith seem to indicate it's, it's, it's certainly a smaller area Something that can be seen or heard or whatever So I think it would be Ideally a person should act on it like a town Like a Cheadle Like a Hill Green Like a Longside Like a, I don't know Like a ward Locality Locality is how majority of scholars Use the phrase of Balad In this area of fiqh Locality and you will see that when they teach it, they also mean locality. And locality is what I want you to go away with. And so that's, that, that, that's the correct position. And so just to finish off this particular chapter, um, that you know that we talked about the fact that it is five prayers that it's obligatory to make, make for. This is of course if the prayers are not combined. Because if the prayers were combined on that day for some reason, okay. so for example, is that possible? To be in cheeda and the prayers be combined that day. All of them? All of, no, not all of them. Obviously. No, no as, in, as in. Yeah, yeah, as in Dhar and Asr at its time and Maghrib and Isha at its time. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, that's Yep, rain. Correct. Yeah, let's say that there's major flooding. Okay, major rain and so on and so forth, and it becomes dangerous to come out. Okay, then it is permissible. This is of course not referring to people at home. Yeah, I know people think, all right, that's a result then, yeah? So I'll just combine at home as well. This is referring to the people who come out to the masjid to pray. This is a concession for them. So, so فَإِنَّهُ يَكْفِي أَذَانٌ وَاحِدٌ, ولكن لابد من لكل واحد منهما. So in that scenario, one adhan is sufficient for both. You say it at the beginning of the first prayer, and then you make an iqamah for each one. So, for فَالظُهَرُ You'd make the adhan for dhuhr, and then you'd make the iqama for dhuhr, and then once the prayer is finished, then you'd make the iqama for uh, asr, because that's what you're combining, and that's it. There is no adhan for asr. Is that clear? Because the adhan is meant to be an indication of the entrance of time. And if the time, and we know that we're bringing asr into that time, we don't need to indicate the beginning of the prayer, because we've indicated the beginning of the time, and we know that it's permissible to pray asr in the time of dhuhr when you're combining it, okay? So what job, job done? Is that as long as you no know, gap between the two? and If you leave the gap, then you're not a gap. Why could you combine it? No, then you are not combine it. I've, I've misunderstood. So mean, you you it combine. Gap, yeah. You can't leave the gap. You have to immediately... So you're asking another question. You're saying that when you combine prayers like in a normal scenario, you're on a road and you're combining prayers, do you leave a gap or is there a gap or can you not leave a gap? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. That's a question not for now because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a detailed question that and there's difference of opinion upon that and we'll come to that when we do combining the prayers because we're not actually doing combining the prayers now. Yes? The uh, you said that Shaykh Uthameen said that the Adhan is uh, obligatory for qada and Adhan prayers. Yes, Shaykh Uthameen said it is obligatory to make the Adhan for qada. And and normal prayers in their right time. And the evidence was the missed Fajr prayer. And the evidence for him is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ he always asked people to make the Adhan and specifically his own episode. Yeah, so there was other prayer, was the evidence. About? That is the 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 hadith of Bilal when he told Bilal to make it. But that was a Qada prayer. Did you not say that, said that? Correct. Correct. I I I agree. That's why I'm silent on this issue about giving my own personal opinion. My own personal opinion is something which I don't want to tell you. I'm happy for you to continue with the class position. In fact, I think in Fiqh Salah I do teach it. Uh, this is a position of a number of companions. That, um, uh, that, uh, 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 and if you wish, if you want me to go into that level of depth, then I can. I can uh, next week I can bring the statements. But according to a number of companions, the adhan is is indicative of the time and it 's indicative of calling people together. so in what sense does it make to call people together for a prayer that 's already gone, and you know who you 're calling who exactly The only people you 're calling is yourself, whereas the, the function of the adhan is meant to be a public service calling people to come to the prayer that they need to pray so if the prayer has been missed, who are you calling um, then they'll say, so why did the Prophet then do it? We'll say, as you just said, if it wasn't qada; that was something which was on time. They'll say, okay, then even if it's uh, 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 not qada and it's Ada, as Ibn Taymiyyah said, why does he making the, why is he making the adhan when no one else can come? Yeah, no one else is going to come either, is it? And then, let's see, that's what we would say. We'd say that it's a sunnah, it's a dhikr, it's something which is good. There's no problem. But is it obligatory to make it for qada prayer? Difficult. I find that difficult, and the majority, as I understand, of the Madhahib are against that as well. They do not consider it to be obligatory, as the humbly's don't, as you just seen. the Hanbalis don't. They don't believe it to be obligatory, and I think they are with the majority position. I think that's the correct position personally. But the class position is the one which Shaykh Al chooses, and you know that's 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 fine. So in conclusion, Sheikh says that that to, to for the obligation of the adhan and the eikama. There are basically a number of conditions, and we can say that there are five of them. So number one, that they must be men. Okay, the conditions to uh, uh, establish the, oblig- the <laughs> obligation of Adhan and the iqama is that it must be men. They must be resident, must be the five daily prayers. It must be normal prayers. Ada prayers, okay, muadda, not yani uh, prayers on time, yani, that's what it means, yeah, not yani prayers. And number five is that it must be a congregation, okay? These are these five things, basically, this list of five. If this list of five things is found, it's obligatory, according to the Hanbalis, to therefore make the adhan and the karma. Is that clear? If these five things are found. It is obligatory according to the hambali's, to make the Adhan and the Iqamah. What are they? Number one, a group of men, men, sorry, which is, which are, who are residents, who are praying one of the obligatory prayers, five daily prayers, on time, in congregation. Sorry? Congregation? In congregation, which is two. Congregation is two. Okay, is that clear? Yeah, sorry, just the point is a group of men or it must be by a man? It, what, what, what's that point mean? Yeah, I mean, men meaning that. Um, it's men. It, it, meaning two people. Okay. Two men. Because as then Sheikh Uthameen then continues, he says, if you understand these five conditions, then you know that if there was a male by himself, alone in an area, then the adhan is not obligatory upon him, it is only sunnah. Is that clear, everybody? So, if a man is by himself, then it is sunnah. These five conditions are for the humbly matter. This is the humbly position, and the only difference, yani, according to Sheikh Uthaymeen, is, is the residency, correct? And, and and number four, which is that it applies to prayers out of time as well. Okay? Sheikh Uthaymeen, meaning class position, is that it is obligatory for muqimeen and musafirin. So, number two is. Both of them, and number four, where they say it's only for muadda, we say maqdiya as well. And I just want to just quote a hadith before we close. And Nabi, sallallahu sallam, when you're talking about why a single man, a man by himself, sorry, should give the adhan, why sunnah? Because the Prophet has narrated with respect to the one who was a shepherd, um, who was, who was herding. His flock alone in the valleys, and so on and so forth, that he should give the adhan for the prayers, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will forgive him, and uh, and he'll be rewarded for it. ala istihbab al yeah. So basically, we can conclude. We can conclude that if there is. A, yani I can just summarize this whole, this whole chapter in this way. From a class position. Now forget yani, the humbly madhab and not and whatever. That it is obligatory for Muslims to have an adhan for their prayer. Okay, If they are in an area where the adhan has already been given, for, even for another mosque or another area or another group of people, then it's not obligatory upon you anymore to make the adhan. However, if you are the only people in that area living in that area, then you must give the adhan. It is an obligation. It not only blesses your own prayer, but it establishes the Islamic nature of that area. It actually kind of makes the area halal almost. Okay? So it's obligation. That is, regardless if you are traveling or not traveling, and in principle, it should be for prayers which are missed or not missed. Okay? And that is if it is a congregation. If, however, and this is important, if the Muslim men in that area decided to pray individually, individually, then some scholars say that it's not obligatory to make the adhan. That's the only playing with words, frankly. Okay? So imagine there's 10 guys and they say, you know what, we're not going to pray together. Well, let's just pray by ourselves. Let's imagine that happened. Then theoretically, they're saying that the adhan should not be given. I I, I think that you should ignore that. The adhan should be given. And finally, if a person is by himself in any place, whether at home or whether abroad or whether in the town, whether his country, regardless of whether the adhan has been given in that area or not, whether he's praying congregation or not, it's always a recommended act of dhikr to make the adhan. And it's a good habit and something that we should encourage upon people to do as much as possible. Okay, We have always, uh, we have so far been talking about obligation only. The legal formal obligation. But in terms of recommendation, then that is clear. It is always going to be recommended uh, uh, for men and not for women. And the iqamah recommended for both. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And that's, I think, quite convenient, inshallah. Because then, next week, we can cover the other stuff. online I'm um, giving the on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> so, someone yani, has, has gone there. Okay? Someone went there, giving their adhan on a plane. Okay, So, so that guy, yeah, I think Pakistani, right? I think Pakistani he was, isn't it? Or Indian? I've seen it a couple of years ago, I can't remember. His. I'm sure it's like a park, isn't it? He looked like a park anyway. My man smacked it out of the park. Yeah, That Gora was bamboozled, he was. He started recording on his mobile phone. He didn't. He didn't realize what he was catching. He was catching history here, and then carried on recording. And he was. He was. He was, he was I remember. Mean, what did he say afterwards? He made a comment afterwards, isn't he? Was in first <laughs> <laughs> My man, it, economy killed it, yara It was definitely economy. You could see from the. Anyway, forget that. I was I going to do anything? Um, it's not obligatory. So, you know, it's not obligatory for him to do that. And, and, uh, uh, f- f- Islamically speaking and practically speaking, you're, you're talking about, huh? So that's when the, te- this last statement comes yep. into action. Yeah. <laughs> no, and when, if 10 guys individually are there, yep. then they decide to pray on their own. Yep then they don't have to give the Iran. And it's not obligation. So that's a good application, isn't it? Because 10 guys are on a plane, Muslims, because you've got more than one Muslim on a plane. Yes. And they're in a congregation, and they're in an area... Which there's a, there's a well. number of them, and they're not going to pray in congregation. Yeah. They're going to pray by themselves. And is it obligatory upon them? First of all, no scholar is going to... Well, the majority are not going to make it obligatory upon him anyway. Regardless. Okay? Not only is he a musafir, but the issue is now not of the entrance of time. The the prayers being prayed, yani in a in the middle of a set time, etc. Blah 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 blah. A number of points, but basically it is not obligatory upon him to make that adhan. Okay, that's the that's the the, the key point. All right. Um, it could also be argued it's a moving vehicle, wherever he's moving over, they're making the adhan there, etc. 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 To make it obligatory upon this guy is something yani big. Number two is. What's the function of this adhan? Is he indicating to everyone it's the prayer time or whatever? That's also a point that needs to be taken into account. Is he actually doing something of service? Is the illah as we covered last week that is to help the people? Or is it a dhikr? We said it's a dhikr. So he should feel comfortable making the adhan regardless of whether the people around him know that it's time to pray or care or don't care. It's something we should be rewarded for. So then the final question then is is that are there any other Political considerations, social considerations that should be taken, yani, yeah, account of, and frankly, the fact that he could be killed, okay, yeah, and a shot at the head, yani, yeah, by some air marshal who's sitting there thinking, this is it, yani, yeah, we're all going down, yeah. I think is a pretty good reason for him to just chill on the other hand, yani, yeah, and make the ikama himself, and just keep it real, yani, yeah, just in his own seat, and just do the old behavior, because you know that is, I mean, you know. I mean, my guy was super confident. I don't know what he thought he was getting away with. Right? And you'd hope that he told a couple of people before he did it. But if he just stood up and said, You know what? This is Khilafa Airways. Right? And I decide what happens. <laughs> Rayyan. Huh? The new one, new one. I don't understand that. Sharia compliant Airways. What's wrong with the others, Yanni? Alcohol. It's easy. No one cares about alcohol anymore. Anyway. So um, no, he shouldn't really have made the adhan, and I'm not uh, advising anyone to make the adhan. I want to see them alive on the other side. Um, what's the ruling if a country is struck struck by war? Are they obligated to give the adhan? Um, it, d- does the ruling for making the adhan get affected by war? The answer is no. The obligation remains, just like the obligation for the prayer remains. Any here? Are we done? Jazakumullah khairah. Do I say Mary? Whatever. Oh, right, right, okay, okay. Sorry, wrong class. (laughs) Wrong group of people. Jazakumullah khair. Inshallah, we'll see you uh, next Wednesday. Ba'idnillah. Is there something I wanted to make an announcement for? No. Okay. I think that's it. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. SubhanAllah wa barakatuh.